1: what's going on new york giants fans this is the chris and nick show here on big blue view radio myself nick falada was joined by chris flum and we have a very special guest here to help us cover this amazing quarterback class and that special guest is one the only mark Schofield. mark how are you doing my friend nick
2: we've known each other a long time yes. we can be honest with each other you know for example i could say you're a very handsome man and you know that comes from a place of love um I don't know if you can use awesome and amazing uh, as descriptors when it comes to this quarterback class. Now, as we will talk about, you know, there's talent. There are certainly guys that can be NFL starting quarterbacks, guys that could probably start next year. But I don't know if awesome and amazing are, are ways I would describe this class. It, it, let's put it this way. It's, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. <laughs> yeah, Intriguing might
1: even be a stretch in some ways, Mark.
2: Yeah. So we want to get
1: you into this one conversation that we're having over there at Big Blue View, just because the Giants have two top 10 picks. I think it's safe to say the Giants more than likely will not go in this direction. But just in case, if they do go in this direction, the two top perceived quarterbacks right now are Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt. If you had to make the case for each of those quarterbacks as to why the New York Giants would make the investment in one of those guys, what would the case be for each?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating question. I I think with Willis, the case is this, and I've talked about this. I I talked about it in my write-up of the top quarterbacks. I talked about it on my own show. A seismic event, there are a couple of seismic events in my mind over the past, say, calendar year with respect to the National Football League, one of which was that divisional round game between the Bills and the Chiefs where we saw Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes just do incredible alien-type things when it comes to playing the quarterback position. And I do think the teams looked at that game and realized we either have that player or we're looking for that player at the quarterback position. You know, for example, Carson Strong might have the best arm of any quarterback in this class, but he really can't move. Like whether it's the knee injury or just a general lack of mobility, he can't quite move. I called him Drew Bledsoe. Is Drew Bledsoe coming off the board first overall in today's NFL? I don't think so. I think you need – sort of that dynamic playmaker type at the quarterback position that when everything breaks down and everything's just going haywire in the pocket, he can create something outside of the pocket with a combination of arm talent and athleticism. That's that's Malik Willis. That's the elevator pitch for him. With Kenny Pickett, who, like you said, is probably the, the QB2 guy in this class, although Desmond Ritter's seemingly coming on strong right now, and there are reasons to like Desmond Ritter. With Pickett, it's the, look, he can do the things you need a quarterback to do from the pocket, work through concepts, attack the middle of the field, layer throws in the middle of the field. He's certainly athletic enough where provided he knows where the pressure is coming from, he can extend, create, and escape. He Doesn't have the playmaking skills that say Willis has, but he's probably somebody that can come in. And if you need somebody to play right away, he's, he and Ritter are probably the two closest to being able to do that. You know, those are the sort of the elevator pitches from those guys of course, the flip side is they come with concerns. I don't know if you want to go as far as to say red flags, but with Willis, there's, you know, repeated mistakes in the pocket, repeated mistakes reading out concepts. With Pickett, it's, I know people will point to the hand size, but for me, it's really, I mentioned how he can handle pressure where he knows where it's coming from, where he doesn't know where it's coming from. That's a bit more of a roller coaster. Like, say, for example, we see it every Sunday, right? Walked up double A gap pressure from those linebackers. If those guys eventually come, He's fine. If those guys drop and you get a sim pressure look off the edges, that's when he's a bit more erratic with response to pressure. And, guys, you know, when a defensive coordinator sees something work against a quarterback on one week, you're going to see it over and over again from other defensive coordinators until you figure it out. And So that's sort of a concern with Pickett. So that's the sort of elevator pitch for these two guys. But like you said, I don't know if the Giants do it, especially when, as we saw this week, Saints pick up a second, first round pick. They've now got two picks. They're sitting at 16 and 19, and maybe they go receiver and and tackle. People have theorized they might do that. Or they could be coming up. And if you've got the Carolina Panthers sitting there at six with a pick at six, and I don't think they're on the clock again until I beat Eldon Wren. They're not on the clock again until 137. And so they probably have to go quarterback. If you want to make sure you get your guy, five seems like the spot you need to at least get to so maybe the Giants and Joe Shane are in a position where they can take advantage of this quarterback excitement. We're starting to see Bill take advantage of the Panthers having to need a quarterback at six and might be in a position to sort of trade out and get some picks along the way.
1: Now, Chris, I actually want to ask you a question based off what Mark just said, how much interest do you have in trading back with the saints and getting those two mid round firsts in this year's draft? Or if you do trade back, if you're in the New York Giants, is your main goal to gain more draft assets next year so you can be among one of these many teams that have first-round picks and a lot of ammunition to trade up for what could be a better quarterback class?
3: Yeah, I think my first instinct is to move back and try to pick up future assets because it, it looks like the Giants are set to roll with the quarterbacks on their roster. Now, whether or not that you know Daniel Jones is written down in stone as the starting quarterback or if it's going to be a truly open competition and who knows, it could be, you know, Tyra Taylor. It could, it could even be Davis Webb, who knows, but it looks like the guys who are on the roster are the guys, the giants are going to have to choose from. If none of those guys work out, then the giants really are in a bind and they have to go quarterback next year. And unless they're picking number one overall, which I don't think anyone really wants to see, well, uh, unless there are some people who just hate listening to this podcast, in which case, you know, thank you for the listen. They all count. A- absolutely. Yeah. Then the Giants are going to have to move up for a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young or Spencer Rattler or whoever happens to make that leap next year. I would be inclined to look at future first round picks, but if your only option to move back is to talk to the Saints, then... You know, that that is kind of your only option. Now, you could potentially move back with the Saints and then maybe move back again at seven because you've got the Seahawks, you've got the Falcons there right in the top 10. And maybe you could get a future first rounder from one of those guys or from, I should say, one of those teams to move back again if there is a sudden panic buy on quarterbacks.
1: And it's really fascinating because the Giants, they have so many different options. But Mark, I want to kind of circle back a little bit because you mentioned a quarterback that I've heard the Athletics, Newly Athletics, Nate Tice, talk a lot about. And congratulations to Nate Tice on getting a full-time gig with the Athletic. But Desmond Ritter, somebody that he's... Talked pretty extensively about. Now, I haven't grinded through his tape, but everything I've seen from Desmond Ritter screams this guy can step into the NFL and be a starter. Now, what is his ceiling? That kind of is where I, where I'm at. I'm not 100% certain on that. Can you just talk to the audience a little bit about what Desmond Ritter can offer as a starting quarterback?
2: Yeah, Ritter's evaluation is kind of fascinating. And, and Nate's sort of been on a Ritter for a while now, and others, you know, in the sort of the film grinding community have gravitated towards him, whether it's Seth Galena, whether it's Derek Lawson uh, I got a chance to talk about Ritter uh, with Nate Tice at the combine, and you know what he sees and some of the things that I see are the ability to figure things out from the mental perspective. You know, he had some great plays this past year. You know, he had one against I think it was UCF, for example, where you could see him work through the front side concept, get to the middle of the field and then hit the backside dig is your fourth option, which as we all know is sort of the like in vogue route right now. Can the quarterback hit the backside dig? Baker Mayfield didn't. That's why Odell found his way to the Los Angeles Rams and a, staff, and a quarterback in Matthew Stafford who can hit that backside dig. And now you've got a guy at Cincinnati doing that. You see – over his time at Cincinnati, growth in terms of what he was asked to do as a quarterback, taking on more responsibilities at the line of scrimmage and center protections and things like that, which will certainly help a quarterback as he adjusts to life in the NFL and sort of like you said, step in and play right away. I think sort of the question about his ceiling is an interesting one because then you see the 4 the four five two, you see some of that on the field, how his athleticism translated to not just designed runs, but – you know, after he ran that 4-5-2, I did a video on YouTube where he saw a drop-8 on the third down situation and just pulled it down and picked it up with his legs. And that's another sort of en vogue thing right now. Defense is playing drop-8. How do you figure that out as a quarterback? One way to do it, run against that front. You know, if you've got an opportunity, you see a crease, like pick it up, you know, get yardage with your legs. And that's something that I think maybe bumps his ceiling up a little bit. You know, I, the concern with him is sort of the accuracy in the ball plays. It was much worse three seasons ago, two seasons ago. He's gotten better at it. And I think there's an argument to be made that it's now more of a pregame jitter thing. You know, that's something that Nate said, look, he misses early in games. He figures it out and he gets better as the game goes on. And look, these are human beings we're talking about. Guys get nervous at the start of the games. You know, Nate talked about, for example, Derek Carr was always very keyed up at the start of the game. would miss throws, for example. And so you could see a scenario where that's what's happening. And if he sort of figures that out a little bit more, he settles into games better and quicker. He can throw the ball better and place the ball better earlier in games. And so those accuracy concerns go out the window. You know, he's QB three for me, but I understand why for people uh, or, uh, in the community is QB one. And I get it. And I've said for a long time, he's going in the first round. And I remember the first time I walked him inside the first round, right after the combine, people were like, there's no way. He's not going in the first round. And I had him at 20 to Pittsburgh. And I think you know, now we're hearing he's going in the top 20. So Pittsburgh at 20 might be a landing spot for him. But if we get this panic buy situation, if we get somehow a trade team comes up, whether it's New Orleans or Pittsburgh or somebody else at five, and you get another quarterback at six and now you've got teams at you know, eight, nine, Atlanta and Seattle that are in the quarterback mix, we might somehow, even after it's all said and done and all these concerns and worries and questions about this this crop of quarterbacks, we still might get three in the top five after it's all said and done because people will go through that panic buying situation. You don't want to be the guy that's like, "Well, all right, well, I guess we're betting on Carson Strawn and his eight biodegradable screws and nails in his knee." You know, you you might see that panic situation set in.
3: Yeah, and you brought up a quarterback I actually kind of like with Desmond Rudder and Derek Carr because you know th- he kind of gets overlooked in the national conversation, which. He's in the same division as Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, and just the West Coast is ridiculous for football right now. It's kind of like the East Coast used to be about a decade ago when the entire (laughs) NFC East was good, yet the Patriots were at the height of their power. The Dolphins were making noise. So Right now, the West Coast is kind of where it's at. But I also think that there's another guy out there who could maybe be Ritter's Floor in drew lock like i could see both of those players in desmond ritter yeah you know, on the peaks Derek carr you know he's got the arm strength he's got the mobility he's got the ability to kind of pick a defense apart at every level but then you also bring up the the accuracy and precision with his passing
0: vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is
2: Yeah, and I mean, that that's really sort of the question mark. Like, like the, the Ritter comp is a very interesting one. You know, I've thrown out sort of Marcus Mariota, given his athleticism and how he tested. He himself said Ryan Tannehill at the combine, which I thought was a very interesting comparison. And it made me think, well, you know, if Atlanta's sitting there at eight, they might have to give it real consideration, obviously, given what Arthur Smith was able to do with Ryan Tannehill. And that might be a very you know, good offense for him with some play action concepts and letting him use his legs and his mobility on some boot action stuff. You know, the, the, the question is throwing the ball to where it needs to be when it needs to be there is kind of job one, you know, and it, you have to be satisfied. Like, like I go through his exercise every once in a while with Dan Hatman, who we all know and love. Like, you know, what are you going to do as a general manager to satisfy yourself that he's the pick? And I think what Dan would say, and he said this last year, with davis mills when we did a show on davis mills was go to your quarterback coach and say look is are you fine with him from a ball placement mechanic standpoint and if you check if you check that box and you're okay with it then yeah you feel comfortable making that pick if that coach comes back to you and says i'm a little concerned then you have some reservations i think mechanically though he's fine like i don't see anything to Ritter from a throw throwing mechanic standpoint that i can point to and say this is the problem i think it really might just be some in-game jitters. Like I think he's gotten the mechanics to a point now this past season where you saw the improvement with ball placement. And so that's why, you know, six months ago I was more like, eh, I don't know. I mean, it might be QB 5, 6, that range for me. Now I'm more satisfied from it. And when you combine that with what he showed from a mental profile, I think the foundation is there for sure.
3: And just before we move on to, you know, go down the, the uh, depth chart a little bit, Nick actually brought up a interesting little thought problem, and that is how would people feel about Kenny Pickett if he had ten inch hands as opposed to I don't know the scary movie two hands
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I-, I think there'd be a lot it'd be a lot easier of a sell, you know because with where his hand size is right now, he is an outlier. He is a technical outlier with eight and a half inch hands, the smallest we have seen since Michael Vick. And while Kenny Pickett is athletic, he's not Michael Vick. And general managers get fired when they bet on outliers and they don't pan out. I mean, and, and as I like to remind people as the draft approaches every single year, the people making these decisions, they have bills to pay. They have mortgages and schools and things that they have to be responsible for. They don't want to get fired. And an easy way to get fired is to bet on an outlier, particularly early in the first round and have it not pan out. Now, it's a scenario where, say, the Giants get through the first round and, you know, nothing really happens. You get onto the second round of the draft and you're sort of sitting there and you've got a pick 36 overall. Kenny Pickett staring you in the face and then he's no longer an outlier. Then you're talking about a guy that was QB2 on many boards, QB1 on some boards, stared you at the face of 36. He's still technically an outlier, but not one that you bet on at 36 and get you fired. You know, if you do it at five, if you do it at seven, if you do it at six and it doesn't pan out, an owner is going to come back to you and say, look, you had all this historical data that not since Michael Vick as a quarterback with this measurement panned out in the National Football League and you did it anyway. That's a way to get those, you know, bills unpaid in a hurry. And so I think to that hypothetical, if he had – nine and a half inch hands, 10 inch hands. I I think it's an easier sell now because of meat at the position, because of the other things you can do because of the ways you can explain it. I think he still goes in the first round, but I'm glad I'm not the one making the decision. Like you can justify it by he's played in weather. He played at Pittsburgh. He played in the outdoors. He uses the glove. He's got the double, you know, you know, he's got double jointed right thumb. Like that's how he can still grip it and rip it. Like you saw him throw it at the combine. and It looked Okay. Then there are still other things such as, well, you saw him at the senior bowl when they had weather conditions and he sort of struggled with ball placement. You saw some moments pre glove where like he had a fumble against Virginia tech, I think in the 19 season where he was under pressure. And it just looked like it fell out of his hands and that was in weather. Um, so yeah, maybe you make sure he wears the glove. Maybe a team like new Orleans, that plays at least half your game sometimes more because you play Atlanta and a dome, you feel a little bit better about it than, say, a, a team like Pittsburgh, even though he played in Heinz Field, you <laughs> might still have some reservations about it. And so, yeah, if somehow we woke up tomorrow to in a world where, you know, they use some sort of regeneration potion on his right hand and suddenly it's 10 inches, uh, I think teams feel a lot better about that pick than they would right now.
1: The Brandon Allen technique on steroids, just get that hand stretched. Yeah, just
2: put it on the rack. Like <laughs> I mean, look, I'm holding up my hand right now for everybody to watch on News Channel 8. That's eight and a half, nine-inch hands, right there, kids. And I have tiny hands, and I've got an NFL football over my shoulder. And every once in a while I try to grip that then, and it's a little tough for me. Now I don't have the, the double-jointed right thumb, and I don't have the, the sweet gloves that Pickett has, but it's an issue. It, it's why. When Ben Solak did that video at the Super Bowl, where he was like Debbie Downer, Kenny Pickett's hands are this spot, these this small, it resonated with people. It, it's an issue. Yeah,
1: it's definitely something that has to be acknowledged and factored into the evaluation. There's two other quarterbacks that are frequently mocked around the first round. Some may think they will fall into day two, specifically Sam Howell. But I just would ask you can you give us a little quick synopsis on unc quarterback sam howe and old miss quarterback matt corral and that run
2: yeah i mean we'll start with howell who is a great reminder that things change overnight because right now we are talking about oh yeah get a chris is right like if you can get a future first for next year like I, that's an ideal situation if you can get pittsburgh to give you that that's ideal It'll give you that sort of daniel Jones hedge because as we sit here right now, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Phil Jakovic, Will Levis, like Spencer Rattler, if he figures it out, DJ U, if he figures it out, could be a very good class. This time last year, people were saying, well, if you miss out on one of these guys, you've got Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell, QBs one and two, with a bullet staring you in the face. That's changed. Um, I, I think the pitch for Howell is this. If you are a vertical-based pass at offense, he's your guy. Like he's a, a very good, proficient, deep ball thrower. That's why Mike Renner, at PFF has him QB one. Um, Cause he's the perhaps the best deep ball thrower in this class. You know, the, the reservation is if he knows where he's going with it, it's great. If he has to get to his second or third read when he's willing to do so, other than pulling it down and running, it's a bit more of a roller coaster. to his credit, had a bad game at the start of the year against Virginia tech, I think through two or three picks that was the, the moment where all of draft Twitter picked him up like, you know, the moment from Toy Story where they pick up Woody <laughs> and just drop him. Like that's everybody just moved on in a heartbeat. He got better as the season went on and they lost Javante Williams. They lost Michael Carter. They lost DME Brown. So it was like, all right, well, I'll be our second leading rusher on the team. Ran for like 900 yards. I like showed you some athleticism. You know, if you want somebody that's going to go one, two, three, four, five through progressions and throw from the pocket, He's probably not there right yet, right just yet. He's more of a one's there. No, it's not two. Well, maybe I won't even look. I'm going to run it now. Um, so he needs to fill out that part of his game. But if you run a vertical based passing offense, like I think Bruce Arians might love him and now that he's more of a front office guy, he might be more inclined to ban the table for him if they want to address quarterback for a post Tom Brady world. But, you know, there are some reservations with Howell, and there's certainly some mistakes that he made at the start of the year that saw his stock slip. Matt Corral, I think to me, I don't know if he's the most interested evaluation in this class, but he's near the top of it. And his evaluation, not the player, but the evaluation is very similar to the Justin Herbert evaluation. When Herbert was coming out of Oregon, because a lot of it was like scheme design throws and screens and bubbles and tunnels. And it's like, look, this is nice and all, but what are you going to do on third and seven when they ask you to play quarterback? And that was a bit of a question mark. And it's very similar with Matt Corral because and there are a lot of third and sevens where Kiffin was just going to call a tunnel or a bubble or a, a QB draw pop pass or, or something where he's like not playing quarterback on third and seven. And if the guy coaching you on Saturdays is kind of not letting you play quarterback on third and seven, what's going to happen on Sundays? Or what will you be asked to do on Sundays? And I think that's sort of something to think about. But with the similarity to Herbert's evaluation, is when you dig deep and you Find those needle in the haystack moments where suddenly he's like playing against Mississippi State in the egg bowl. And it's like, oh, that orbit out concept that they've called so often with the deep out of the orbit to the flat where he's reading that high low, it's not there. He checks the first dig, the second dig, and then comes to his fifth read, the check down and his eyes and his hips and his feet and his shoulders are all in line and he's just going one, two, three, four, and five. Like if you dig hard enough, you find those needle in the haystack moments. Isn't enough. Is it enough to say, yeah, we could take this small sample size projected to the NFL on Sundays and draft that in the first round? I don't know. I mean, he's my four. How was my six? And so that tells you where I am on these two guys. But, yeah, they're both sort of fringe first round guys. And if we end up seeing three in the top 10, as could theoretically happen, maybe one or both of these guys sort of sneak in. But, you know, they, they they come with question marks pretty much like everybody else in this class.
3: Yeah, and I think that's what it is with this draft class. Well, not the draft class as a whole, with the quarterback class. Yeah. It's just that there are just yellow flags everywhere. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody with a real red flag except maybe Carson Strong in that knee. Right. But you know, the, the rest of the top of this board is just, uh, are you sure? You're, are you right. really sure? Or d- does it come with a caution flag? Like, you know, you, you put the card in and then kind of like, oh, I hope this doesn't blow up in my face. Yeah, there's there is no Andrew Luck obviously. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There aren't any guys who had a season like Joe Burrow where he just made things that should be impossible look easy. Or yeah. anybody like Patrick Mahomes where yeah, the the scheme is doesn't have a whole lot to do with the NFL, but it, the physical traits are just so off the charts, they're undeniable. Yeah, there are just all these little questions and when you get to the most important position at the field with millions and millions of dollars being invested little questions start to look pretty big
2: yeah and i think the best way to sum up this quarterback class beyond say what the washington commanders did in training for carson wentz when they're sitting there at 11 you know and it's just one group of skeletons but the the, the men and women over at the draft network their big board right now sitting here on april 6 just a couple of weeks out from the draft their QB1 is Malik Willis. Their QB2 is Kenny Pickett. Those are players 32 and 33 on their board. Now, will an NFL team's board look similar? Perhaps. But I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about whichever quarterback comes off the board first is going to be somebody graded out in like the 20s or 30s overall of the team that turns that card in. And if you're turning the card in at like 5, at 6, at 8, 9, for a player that's graded on your big board in like the late 20s, early 30s, That's a risk, you know, but as we started at the outset, that sort of seminal seismic moment of that Bills-Chiefs game has teams believing if you don't have the guy, if you're unsure if you have the guy, you got to try to get the guy. and you got to get that guy, and you're going to have to pay that premium and pass up on an Evan Neal, a Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, a top talent at another position to take a swing on a guy that's maybe 33rd on your board inside the top five because of the need of the position.
1: And to circle back
2: to what you said before, Mark, that's why it's a fireable offense as well. Yeah. You
1: need to be sure about that quarterback.
2: And, and and the league, nobody's ever sure. I mean, the league, I get it wrong all the time, you know, and that's fine. The league gets it wrong too. I mean, a team drafted Josh Rosen. Yes, he was my QB1 too, but I wasn't turning the card. They drafted him in the top 10. I mean, teams get this position wrong, even with all the information they have because – there's so many other things that go into it. It's as we've talked about a lot, Nick, both online and off. It's a Monday morning to Sunday evening position. It's not a snap to whistle position. There are so many other moving parts. And, you know, quarter GMs that get this position wrong end up getting fired. Right? that, that's the the long and short of it. And you also need the
1: infrastructure in place to maximize that quarterback because there have been plenty of quarterbacks that went into the NFL that could have been realistic, good football players, but they had (laughs) crap coaching staffs and crap around them, and they just fizzled out in the NFL. But, Mark, before before we get you out of here, I want to give you a, a chance to tell the listeners some of your favorite late round players and possible guys who can come onto a team, develop and maybe be a spot starter in the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think two guys that sort of fit that bill. There's one in Skylar Thompson, who I really sort of like, not as much as my buddy, uh, Matt Walton, who I think has him in like the. I think he has strong one and Thompson too. I mean, Matt, Matt marches to is the beat of his own drummer, and I, I love him for it. Um, I do think that that the Skylar Thompson is a very talented quarterback. It's just more of a sample size thing because he had some injury problems. You know that that Kansas State offense, similar to the Matt Corral discussion and the the Justin Herbert discussion, didn't do him a ton of favors. But you know, I think he made some throws that other quarterbacks in this class weren't attempting, let alone making. Um, and he's got arm talent. He moves well in the pocket, and so he's somebody that I think, if given an opportunity, is going to potentially develop. You know, just needs the sort of right environment. And then, look, every draft class has that guy that you're just like, no matter what, ten years down the road, he's going to be in the league. Like Chase Daniel 2.0, Colt McCoy 2.0. I think that's Bailey Zappi of this group. You know, put up huge numbers, obviously you know, when he was a Houston Baptist and then a Western Kentucky he broke some of Joe Burrow's records to Chris's point about that Joe Burrow, when he can do no wrong season. Now I think he threw it 8,000 times this past year. I mean, he had some games where he threw it like 65 times. So yeah, you're going to put up big numbers, but I, I think if nothing else, he's got that floor of like, you draft him, he's going to be QB two. He's going to be a solidifying effort in, in the quarterback room at that position can give you that spot starter element when you need him on a week to week kind of basis. And so when you get into the later rounds, those are two guys I'm very excited to see sort of come off the board. Dustin Crum is another one that the Kent state quarterback, the people over the 33rd team have, it was a QB four, which I was just like, wow. I mean, he's 11 for me. That would, that, that's a bold one, but very athletic and move well, throws a good deep ball. And so, you know, those are some later guys, Thompson, Zappi and crumb that I think, as we get into day three, watch to see where they go. Cause in the right spot, you know, they could put something together that could be kind of special.
3: The only two I could have to add to that are uh, E.J. Perry at Brown. Yeah. And a big part of that, you know, he impressed me from what I saw, you know, senior ball and all that. And also, you know, our guy Joe DeLeon, he played against E.J. Perry and absolutely hated him because yep. he pulled Brown's bacon out of the fire. I think he's on four or five fourth downs where, you know, they had they had Brown beat and he just was too good. And you know, that that does kind of resonate with me. And Super also, uh, athletic guy,
2: you saw yeah. the video of the two handed dunk. I mean, that's got to count for something.
3: Uh, absolutely. I mean, the game is turning into basketball on grass.
2: There you go. Yeah,
1: he comes and, from an athletic family too. Yeah. I think his uh, father is a basketball coach. His uncle is a football coach. Or I might have had that confused. But he comes from a really renowned athletic family.
3: Yeah, Boston College background. went, went to Brown at the very least? Coaching could be in his in his future. Absolutely. And then also, uh, Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina, just because, you know, I've seen him, I, I saw Coastal play, uh, Texas state. I don't know that McCall's got the arm to be a consistent NFL quarterback, but kid can move. He, he runs really, really well. And, you know, when you can be as, as successful runner as he can in that kind of, I don't know, spread spread option spread coast I'm not sure exactly how how they term it Often they they run it coastal and it's it does definitely speak to your athleticism and yeah you
2: know, your athletic tools he's going back to school though right uh di- is he I
3: and we I can cut this still. out but I I was sure he went to I I, I was sure he declared
2: yeah, no, he, I'm looking at it now. Like he announced in December that like, yeah, he's going back.
3: Oh, damn. It, it must've been a late, in, a late announcement then. Cause I, yeah. I, and he
2: did it with this incredible quote. I hope you guys don't have to dump me for this, but at the end of his statement, when I say I piss teal, I mean it one <laughs> last ride, baby. Let's do it. Chance. Forever. <laughs> uh, I was going to
1: cut all of this out, but now I might have to leave it in after hearing that quote.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> Mark, before we get you out of here, I want to allow you the opportunity to promote yourself. Cause you do some of the best work among anybody that I know who covers the NFL draft. So please allow the listeners to have an opportunity to follow you. It would be a pleasure for them.
2: Well, Nick I, and Chris, I appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm on the bird app at Mark Schofield uh, USA. Today's touchdown wire. I did top 11 QBs, top 16 receivers. You're going to get um, on Thursday, the seventh top 11 tight ends. Then next week, interior defensive tackles, linebackers, and corners for me as well. But guys, this was a blast. Uh, you can follow me on, like I said, on Twitter at Mark Schofield.
1: Always a must listen and a must read. Mark, thank you so much. For myself, Nick Filato, my friend, Chris Flum. This is Big Blue View Radio and the Chris and Nick Show. Signing off, please head on over to Big Blue View and check all of the draft, the New York Giant content we have. Take care of yourselves. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.
0: First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts.